We are diving in and starting a series through the book of Ephesians, and we're going to take our time. We're going to go verse by verse, and uh, we're going to see how far we get up until about August, and then take a break and probably wrap it up a little later in the fall, uh, because this book is incredible, it's dense, and it's powerful. So I'm super excited about that. Now, I uh, hope you're doing great. Hope you had a great week. I was down in Mexico last weekend with a group. Anybody here that was on the Mexico trip? No? I know there's a couple of them. You're just not very noisy. It was an amazing trip. And let me just tell you, um, we're going to show you a video next week that highlights uh, the two families we built for and, and the trip and the, and the house build. But this, this year was really special. Um, I've been on a ton of these trips and been on a ton of house builds. I mean, I think dozens, and I have lost count. And so I don't really remember, you know, all the families or anything. Um, I, it, it all sort of blends together in my brain. But this was a really, really special um, build that we got to be part of. And a really touching house dedication. There's, we built for this young, young gal uh, named Betsy. She was a widow. And it was just heartbreaking to hear her story, how, how her husband um, died on the way to a doctor's appointment. And she found him. And it was just this really hard thing. She had this little girl named Grace. And what's amazing about her was she was so filled with joy. I mean, we showed up, she was hugging us all, and she was just amazing. And she was like working and painting right alongside us, and just so full, full of joy, in spite of her story. And it was this incredibly powerful moment when, when uh, we, we handed over the keys, the team handed over the keys, and she uh, opened the door and walked in and closed the door. And you could hear her yelling to her little girl through the door, Mira, Mira, look, look, as they went around and looked at all the furniture and, and everything in the house. And, and uh, it, it was just amazing. And this really, really touching, moving experience. And I found it really powerful. Now, I warn everybody on... Uh, missions trips, when we go on these trips that uh, on the last night, I'm like, all right, that was amazing. We do this little like sharing time. And then it was like, got to warn you, um, on the way back, usually we've seen this phenomenon, the grace lifts. And what that usually means is we get grumpy. And so we get up the next morning after this incredibly moving experience and jump in a van and head on up. And we're driving a van across uh, some of the rest of the team. They got a, a, across a lot faster. But our van was in line for three hours and 40 minutes. And then we got across the border. And we're driving up. And we hit San Diego. We hit traffic, like, all the way. And we get to our hotel at 2 in the morning, almost. And here's what I found. It's so easy, even after an incredible experience, an incredible thing that moves you so much. It's so easy to forget. So easy to, to quickly slide back into that place of getting jaded, to, to forget the incredible thing you experienced, to just get back, to get busy, to have to go out and mow the lawn right away, prep a sermon, whatever you're doing, and forget the power of, of that moment and what that moment did for you. And here's what we're going to see as we launch this book. We're just going to do a broad overview today. But in the book of Ephesians, Paul is going to uh, make clear to us the most important thing for us to remember. 
And then starting in chapter 4, he's going to show us how, how living out of that place should reshape every part of our story in life. But we're going to see something first about how easy that is to forget. So if you have your Bibles, why don't you turn on over to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1. And here, here's what it's going to start out. If, in case you don't know, it's written by the Apostle Paul. And uh, the Apostle Paul wrote a good share of the New Testament. This is a letter, and it's written and addressed to the Ephesians. Uh, but most scholars believe it was meant to be circulated around this whole region in a bunch of churches. And here's how it starts. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's all we're going to go over today. <laughs> Don't worry, we won't go as slow as we did through John. It will take us two years. But here, here's what I want to do is dive in and look at this for a minute. So Paul, the Apostle Paul, now what you got to know is he's writing this from prison. He's writing this letter in chains, and he writes several other of what are known as the prison letters where he is imprisoned. He, he's not free to go, but yet the gospel is spreading, and, and it's, it's what lights him up, and it's his passion. And so Paul, he says, I'm an apostle of God by the will of God. I didn't get myself into this. No, I was persecuting the church of God. If you remember Paul's story, he was persecuting the church of God. And God, Jesus appears to him in a blinding flash of light while he's riding a donkey to go persecute Christians and knocks him down. And it changes his life forever. And he becomes the apostle to the Gentiles, one of the most effective, if not the most effective missionary church planners in the history of the world. And he says, that's how I got into this. And so he's saying, I'm writing to you. Um, some of the versions that you have, the actual word is saints. And, and that word uh, saints, that means God's holy people, people who have been set apart for Christ, people who have been set apart for a special, unique purpose. They're dedicated to Jesus. And he says, that's who you are. But not just that, what? They, they're God's holy people, set apart people, faithful in Christ Jesus. Faithful in Christ Jesus. Man, they are faithful. He looks at the, the church in Ephesus. He goes, you guys are faithful. I came and I preached the gospel to you, and you've taken the ball. You've run with it. You're faithfully following Jesus. They're faithful. And he goes on and he gives this greeting, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he dives in to the letter. But I want to I jump forward a little bit in the scripture because an interesting ha thing happens. We see him address the church in Ephesus as, as God's holy people, faithful. We're going to see him praise them in a whole bunch of ways throughout this letter. But then a little bit later, there's another apostle that, that lives in Ephesus. You've probably heard of him. His name is John. He wrote the Gospel of John. He wrote three letters, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, presumably to the church in Ephesus. He also received the revelation of Jesus Christ while he was exiled on the island of Patmos. And he writes to the church in Ephesus. See, because something had happened. Paul's there. Paul spreads the gospel. He, he preaches the gospel. And then a, a couple of decades go by um, since Paul wrote his letter. 
And something happens in this church in, to the Ephesians. Something happens to them. They had lost some of what they originally remembered. There was something that happened. And we see that in Revelation chapter 2, verse 1. Revelation chapter 2, verse 1. Jesus is speaking. Jesus is speaking. And here's what he says this to the angel of the church in Ephesus write. These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. Back in Revelation 1, there's seven lampstands that represent the seven churches. Lights for Jesus in this area of the world. And he's writing to one of them. He's writing to Ephesus. He says this, I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. Man, you guys worked hard. You persevered. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people. You, you don't just let sin run wild among your, your midst. You, you, you don't tolerate that. That you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. Some guys came in. They claimed to be apostles. You tested them. You found their, their teaching false. You know scripture. Here's the big idea here. You know truth and you stand up for truth. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name. You've been through some really rough things. And you've walked through them for me. And you've not grown weary. You haven't let it knock you out of the race. Yet, this I hold against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Like there was something you started with that you lost along the way. There was something that moved you that at some point you got busy, you got distracted, it quit moving you. There was something that motivated you to live for something bigger than yourself. And along the way, it got lost. It got lost. I hold this against you. You've forsaken the love you had at first. And then Jesus goes on to say this. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. We'll talk about that a little bit more in a, in a little while. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. And so you see these interesting contrasts between Ephesians 1, where at the very beginning, where Paul writes to the Ephesians a few years after the church is planted and encourages them and writes a letter to them that's, that's an amazing um, summary of what God did for them and how that is supposed to work itself out in their lives. And he begins by calling them the faithful people. And then about 30, 20, 30 years go by and something happens and Jesus, he has some praise for them. They're, they've stuck it out. You know, they're concerned about the truth, but they've lost their love. They've lost their love. 
And most scholars see this in a, in a couple ways. Um, there's the idea of the first love being the love for God. But then there's also the love for each other, which many scholars think this is the heart of what Jesus is getting at here. So along the way, now, now picture this, because here's what you got to realize. The church at Ephesus, um, they had a rock star staff. We're going to go look at a little bit of that. In fact, Acts chapter 18, we're going to walk through a little bit of how the church in Ephesus started. It says this, Ephesus, it says, they arrived at Ephesus where Paul left Priscilla and Aquila. Now these guys um, are like a power couple. And they're great leaders. Uh, we, we find this out as you read about them in different parts of the New Testament. And so he leaves Priscilla and Aquila, and he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. Now, they're really intrigued by what they say. So listen to what happens. It says, when they asked him to spend more time with them, he declined. He had a mission to get somewhere different. But as he left, he promised, I will come back if it is God's will. And then he set sail from there to Ephesus or he set sail from Ephesus. And so we see that Paul arrives in Ephesus. And here's, just to set it all up, here's where we are, here's where we are in the world. You can go visit ancient Ephesus today if you want. It is in modern-day Turkey, which was known as Asia Minor, a very wealthy and influential area in the Roman Empire. And so this is one of the areas, in fact, the seven letters to the churches in Revelation, one of which we, we just read the first one, um, are to churches in this area of the world. This is a very influential area. And Paul comes through, he leaves some of his all-stars, Priscilla and Aquila, uh, at Ephesus, because Ephesus is the primary city of the region. If he can plant the gospel and get the gospel to have a hold in Ephesus, it's going to spread all over the region. And that's exactly what we see happen. It was a power center, a political power center of the day. In fact, you can go there and visit this Roman theater uh, still today in Ephesus. And I've not been there, but man, I would like to go. Anybody else want to go with me? All right, we got a few. We'll go to Israel too. And here, um, but this was a Roman theater that held 24,000 people. It was an amazing cultural center. It was a very influential area. And Paul goes there, and there's a synagogue of Jews. There's a mixed community, Jews, but mostly Gentiles. And they're intrigued, and they want to know more. But they, so he leaves Priscilla and Aquila and says, if God wills, I'll come back. It says, meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he only knew the baptism of John, a baptism of repentance. We'll see more about this as it goes along. And it says, he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, and when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. I love this. Apparently, he's sharing. He's sharing about Jesus. He knows some things because John came proclaiming the one who would come after him and to repent and make way for Messiah. And, but he doesn't get the whole picture. But instead of preaching against him and trying to cut him down, they love him and they invite him into their home and they disciple him. And he has a teachable spirit, so he learns. And he goes on to become an extremely powerful person, um, a powerful messenger in the early church and a leader, and wins many people to Jesus. 
So that's Apollos. And I love the fact that here's how the church grows is through discipleship. As people take other people and say, you know what? I, let me help you love Jesus. Let me help you learn. Let me help you grow in your faith and in scripture. That is how the kingdom of God grows. Yeah, sometimes Peter gets up and preaches a sermon and 3,000 people come in one day. But by and large, the growth of the church has been from people inviting, loving. Our phrase we have around here is my circle, my responsibility. That's about us caring enough about other people to bring them to Jesus, to get them into scripture, to help begin to see their lives transformed, to be okay with people being a little messy and not looking exactly the way we want them to because we're all in process. It's the heart of discipleship. And you see that in Priscilla and Aquila as they stay and they begin to disciple this guy who will go on to become extremely influential in the early church. Now, Paul goes off and he goes to Corinth and he goes all, all around and travels around pre preaching the gospel. And eventually, it was God's will, and he came back to Ephesus. He will go on to spend two years in Ephesus. I mean, think about that. Two years pouring his life into these people. Two years supporting himself. He's a tent maker. So were Priscilla and Aquila. They, they supported themselves through business, and they preached the gospel, and it was their passion, and he poured his life into the people of Ephesus. In fact, in verse 11, we see this. It says, God did extraordinary miracles through Paul, so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick, and their illnesses were cured, and evil spirits left them. I mean, God is just moving in powerful, powerful ways. It's, and then this interesting thing happens, and this is, I want to just set this story up because it's going to be important in what we're talking about. So in verse 13, they're a culture that's very aware of the spiritual realm. Check this out. It says, some Jews went around driving out evil spirits and tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, in the name of the Jesus whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. So these guys were trying to like do some sort of like incantation and magic and sort of co-op the name of Jesus to drive out demons. But they didn't have any relationship with Jesus. And check this out. I, I love this. This is funny. So it says seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. And one day the evil spirit answered them. So he's, they're going around. They encounter somebody that's demonized and... The, the demon answers back and says, Jesus I know, and Paul I know about, but who are you? <laughs> and then it says, this is the Bible, check this out. It says, then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. I'm just saying, if you go to a fight and you got clothes on and you leave and you don't, you lost, okay? <laughs> These guys get whooped. See, the, see the, the spiritual realm isn't something just to be trifled with. Paul's going to talk about this more in, this, in the book of Ephesians. This, this was a culture that was accustomed to the supernatural realm. 
fact, all over there were, there were temples. So this is a little bit foreign to us today. But, but in the first century, they worshipped all sorts of little g-gods. In fact, the Roman imperial cult had temples here set up. There were multiple temples. This was one that was the temple to Domitian, one of the Roman emperors. This is the ruins that are left that you can go visit. And there's a temple to Hadrian. This was built shortly after, probably just before the, the, the letter that John wrote to the church in Ephesus. And uh, they were accustomed to the spiritual realm. So this was the temple uh, of, of Roman imperial cult worship, where the Caesars said, we're actually divine. You know what that the Caesar Augustus means? The divine Caesar. And so they would, there, there would be a tradition to worship Caesar as if he was a god. This was very common in this day. But beyond that, they had all sorts of gods and goddesses that they worshipped. And one of the primary ones they worshipped was here at the, uh, at the temple of Diana or Artemis. And this one's been mostly destroyed. All you can see is like one pillar that's left here at, at the temple of Diana and Artemis. But this was a huge complex, and it was actually one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. People would come from all over to see it because it was such an amazing, amazing sight. Now I'm going to skip forward in the slides for a minute and talk about um, Diana and Artemis. So this was the goddess that they worshipped here. And this will be important in a moment because we'll tell you more about this. This is the goddess. She's known in Greek as Diana or as Artemis. Um, but she went by lots of different names in ancient times. One of them was Venus. You've heard that one. One of them is Aphrodite. You've heard that one, right? Um, but it goes back. She went back all the way, and um, her she basically was a goddess that was originated in ancient, ancient times. You see her in the Epic of Gilgamesh. So her names also were Ashtoreth. You see that all throughout the New Testament or the Old Testament. The Ashura poles, Inanna, all the way back in the Epic of Gilgamesh, as Isis in Egypt, and then also Ishtar. Ishtar is where you could trace the heritage of who this goddess supposedly um, was all the way back, thousands of years. And they worshipped her as the mother goddess of the earth. The, uh, the one whose seat of worship was in the temple in Ephesus, this wonder of the world. In, the, in this provincial sort of, you know, pivotal capital in, in this province. Um, they had ritual sacrifices, services to her that, com that, were, um, that consisted of sacrifices and also of ceremonial prostitution, all sorts of things we can hardly imagine. She was known, if you trace her heritage all the way back um, to Ishtar, she was known as the Sumerian goddess of love, beauty, desire, sex, fertility, war, combat, justice, political power. She was worshipped all over the ancient world. She was known as the queen of heaven. She had a lover named Tammuz. And the days of Tammuz, which happened at the end of June, at the, at the solstice every year. She was known, and this is interesting, because she was known um, to twist biblical sexuality and turn men into women and women into men. Go back and read the ancient documents. And the ancients believed, 
And actually, the scriptures teach that behind these um, ancient gods were actually demonic presences. They were known as the Shadim in ancient Israel. This is why you're going to see later on in Ephesians, Paul is going to make this powerful statement that our battle, our struggle, is not against flesh and blood, but it's against the rulers and authorities, against the powers of this dark world and the spiritual forces in the heavenly realms. So this goddess was worshipped and revered in Ephesus. Now, that may feel a little far away from us today in a modern culture, but let me just say, here's what we're seeing. Something interesting happened back in the 60s. Um, Beginning in the 60s, we pretty much have driven God and the awareness of God out of the public square in our nation. Well, Jesus makes this really interesting statement in Matthew, and it's about the generation he's speaking to, and he he gives this illustration of when a demon uh, or a spiritual power leaves a person and and nothing fills that, like the presence and the power of God doesn't fill that, the demon ends up coming back and bringing seven more of his buddies, and the original state is worse than the first, and he says that's the way it's going to be with this generation. But some teachers and scholars see this as more of a principle. And and here's, it's, it's just fascinating, as you look at where we are as a culture, abandoning what God says about the image of God, about biblical marriage, all of these things, they're being shoved out the door. You can trace all that stuff right back to ancient Ishtar. It's all rooted there. Ancient Greece, Rome, it's, I, I look at these cultures, and I'm like, well, we're just going right back there. It's pretty clear. And, and as we drive God out of the public square, um, you know what we're seeing a huge increase in? Paganism and witchcraft. So it feels like this stuff is kind of far away, maybe here for us in western Colorado, and you, you're good church people, right? But let me tell you, I I read this article just a couple years ago in 2029. Here was a USA Today headline. We are in the middle of a witch movement. Hip witchcraft is on the rise in the U.S. Here was another NBC article from last October called Why Paganism and Witchcraft Are Making a Comeback. And and they're quoting somebody in the article. I think it's the author, actually. She says, I am one of a million-plus Americans who practice some form of witchcraft. Witchcraft, which includes Wicca, paganism, folk magic, and other New Age traditions, is one of the fastest-growing spiritual paths in America. Listen to this. In 1990, um, a college in Connecticut did a survey, and they estimated there were 8,000 adherents of Wicca. Now there's a million. That is exponential. That is exponential. And here's, here's what I think as I look at it. The more we drive the, the knowledge of God out of the public square and out of the public consciousness, people, there's a natural void. Remember in Ecclesiastes, it says either God has placed eternity in our hearts. Eternity in our hearts. And there's a hunger in us that un- understands there's a spiritual realm, I believe, innately, and there's something in the human heart that if they don't reach out to God for it, they'll reach anywhere. And I think we see that happening. And I think we see so many of the things that were associated with this ancient goddess and her worship and her religion coming back into our nation in a pretty big way. In case you didn't notice, we just started a whole month where the name of the month is a specific thing that God says he hates. 
Now, I'm not talking about individuals here at all. I'm talking about what? Pride. Pride cometh before fall. the fall. And yet we have a month where we celebrate a word that represents a sin out of Scripture that we going all the way back, you see that God says he hates, and yet it's, it's just, it's like it's multiplying out of control, isn't it? In fact, this is what, remember the, the Nicolaitans? I told you we'd talk about that in a minute from Revelations 2. Well, the Nicolaitans, um, you see it in, a little later in, in one of Jesus' other statements where he says the Nicolaitans, and he ties them to Balaam. And the sin of Balaam was drawing the people of God into sexual immorality and idolatry through that. And he says, as he looks at the Ephesians, he's like, well, you guys have been strong on this. You've been doing good on this. Good job on that. But there's something deeper that you're missing. So, going on in the story in Acts, verse 17, it says this. Now, look at the response of Ephesus, of the people of Ephesus to the gospel in this culture of gods, goddesses, anything goes, sexual promiscuity, all of that stuff, sorcery, magic, witchcraft. Here's what it says. When this became known to the Jews and the Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear. And the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed what they had done. So there's an openness and a recognition as the, as the power of God moves in their midst and as they embrace the gospel message that Paul is preaching, um, there's an openness of recognizing I'm not okay. In fact, I'm going to share my stuff. I don't have to pretend to be all put together. I can come and come clean because of what? Because of the grace of God. See, later he's going to tell us it's because of God's great love for us. It's because God, who is rich in mercy, he made us actually alive with Christ while we were dead in our sins. It was all him. It was him that did it. He'll tell us it was by grace you've been saved through faith. And this, even the faith you have, is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one will boast. No one can boast. Salvation is a free gift that you've been brought in. And because of that, we'll see the consequences of that, that they are no longer foreigners and strangers, but now they are fellow fellow citizens with God's holy people, members of his household. And this is the gospel that Paul is preaching, and it's so powerful that it brings, it creates a transformation and a response in these people. And it's a love for God that overflows into a love for others and a willingness to live for him. And so that's why it says a number who had practiced sorcery, they brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. And when they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas, a huge sum of money. And it says in this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. Like the, the gospel had such a profound impact on them and the power of God working in their midst and what God had done for them, the free gift of God, and forgiveness and life available that they came. They confessed the things they'd done. They came clean about it. It was an environment where, they, where you didn't have to be all put together, squeaky clean, but you're in progress. 
we shamelessly rip off what another pastor at church, uh, their slogan is, it's okay not to be okay, but it's not okay to stay that way. And that's what you see here as the gospel permeates, is there's a culture where you come and, and you get clean about stuff and you move towards Jesus and you confess, I've been involved in this stuff, and you make it right. And because of this, the word of God was spreading out of this response to the gospel that was being preached. Now, there's an, another story that illustrates uh, how this worked itself out. After Paul had been there for two years, he's getting ready to go to his next stop on the missionary journey. He's planted a church. And, and there's this huge riot that breaks out. So just so you can see, like, the tension in this culture, it says this, about the, that time there arose a great disturbance about the way. That's what our faith is called at the very beginning. Why? Because um, we believe because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so they called this what, the, what was viewed as kind of a knockoff sect of Judaism, the way, before it became known as the Christian faith. A silversmith named Demetrius, who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought in a lot of business for the craftsmen there. He called them together along with the workers in the related trades and said, You know, my friends, that we receive a good income from this business. And you see and hear how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray a large number of people here in Ephesus, and practically the whole province of Asia. He's seen the gospel spread, not just in Ephesus, but all over the region. And it says, uh, he says that gods made by human hands are no gods at all. Like, well, how dare he? But you see the real motivation. There is danger not only that our trade will lose its name, but also, I mean, we're losing a lot of money here, right? But also that the great goddess Artemis will be discredited and the goddess herself who is worshipped throughout the province of Asia and the world will be robbed of her divine majesty. He says, the goddess is going to lose, lose her prominence. It goes on, it says, when they heard this, they were furious and began shouting, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Soon the whole city was in an uproar. The people seized Gaius and Aristarchus, Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia, and all of them rushed in to the theater, the theater I just showed you, they rushed in right there, the theater, together. Paul wanted to appear before the crowd, but the disciples would not let him. Even some of the officials of the province and friends of Paul sent him a message begging him not to venture into the theater. So <laughs> they chanted. They sat there for two hours chanting, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. There's this huge riot. And finally it calms down. Finally it calms down. And Paul takes off, and he'll end up coming back. But he won't ever make it back to Ephesus. He'll come back, and the elders of the church will travel over uh, a ways away to see him because he's making a stop because he's convinced he needs to go to Jerusalem, and from there he'll go to Rome where, he, where he'll be arrested under Nero. And at the very end of the scene, the last thing we see of Paul in Ephesus is this beautiful, tearful scene where Paul says, I know, uh, being warned by the Holy Spirit all over that, that, that I'm going to be in chains. But I know, he says this beautiful phrase, my life is worth nothing to me unless it's poured out doing the mission that God's called me to do. 
And then he commissions the elders from Ephesus and says, after I leave, vicious wolves are going to come in. And they're going to try to tear apart the, the, the flock. And you see this beautiful picture as they weep together and say goodbye because they know this will be the final time they get to see Paul in this life. And you see this great heart of love and affection. In fact, do you remember what, what Jesus said somehow in this 20, 30 years? What broke down? You've lost your love. Doing pretty good on the truth side of things. You've confronted error, but you've lost your love. And the way that Paul starts out this letter over and over, he's going to emphasize their love. A little later in the first chapter, he's, he's going to say, I've been giving thanks ever since I heard about your faith and your love for all of God's people. I've been giving thanks for you. See, the two go together, loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength understanding that he loved you first. John says, we love him because he first loved us. That's why we love. It's a response to the gospel. And understanding that Jesus said, the biggest deal, a new command I give you. Here's how your love for God works itself out, that you love one another. As I have loved you, so love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. Paul will tell us a little later, I want you to be humble and gentle and patient, bearing with one another in love. I want you to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. He'll tell us, I want you to be compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ forgave you. Why are you called to forgive? Because he forgave you so much. That's why you're called to forgive. See, and if you lose sight of the gospel and what Paul's going to present here over this next couple chapters, that you're saved not because of anything you did, but because he loved you and he came for you. And he saved you. It was a free gift. You have no room to boast. It's only when you live out of, out of a response to that and to the gospel that you actually can live the way that, that Paul's going to call us to live in the second half of the book. That you can forgive others. That you can bear with one another. The very last verse of the book, he commissions the Ephesian church. Those who love Christ with a love incorruptible. And yet something happened in their hearts. After this amazing story of God's power and the gospel going out and this great love for Paul and great love in the body of Christ together that you see, they lost it. They lost it. Well, they didn't compromise like, you know, the Nicolaitans. They didn't, they held on to truth. And Jesus commends them. Don't, because normally in church, here's what we do. We have churches that swing real hard towards grace and love. We just love each other. Let's just hug it out. We'll circle up and we'll hug it out and everything's okay, but we never call other people on sin. 
We never perform what the church is called to have a prophetic voice to the culture around it. Do you know why there's not temples to Artemis around every street corner and shrines here? Because the gospel swept through Europe and the Roman Empire and Western civilization and the knowledge of the one true God. As we walk away from the knowledge of the one true God, guess what's going to come back? Paganism. The worship of goddesses and nature and all of these things and all the practices that went along with that. It's just inevitable. And the church is called to have a prophetic voice in love. That's the hard part because we don't normally do these things well. Normally, it's like you go to a church and it's all about, we're about the truth here. Churches like us that are really serious about preaching the scriptures. It's very easy for our hearts to grow cold, for us to lose the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace, for us to lose our first love. It's very easy for us to become Pharisees. You know, the Pharisees were the ones that Jesus said, hey, you know the scripture better than anybody. But you search it thinking you're going to find life, but you refuse to come to me. And they're writing about me. Ultimately, a response to the gospel, and this is what Paul's going to help us understand. It's only when we understand the gospel, when we slip away. And here's what I think has gone on in this 20-year period. They lost the power of the truth of the gospel or the weight that it had in their life that they had been forgiven of much. They, got, they were just about doctrine and about truth. And Jesus said that was good. He commended them for that. But they let love go somehow along the way. And Jesus said, I want you to repent and go back and do the things you did at first. The things that were motivated. I think the things that we saw here, as they left behind things like Idols, scrolls, all these things, let's burn it. It's not worth it. Let's follow Jesus. He's our first love. It's worth a ton of money. Doesn't matter. Get rid of that. Follow Jesus. Let's love each other. Let's care for each other. And that's what flows out of that. Which is why, as you're going to see as we go on in Ephesians, how this relates to our families and our relationships with one another, and even spiritual warfare. Would you stand? I'm going to invite Winston up. And we're going to close with a song. And, and here's all I want you to get this evening out of this. The only way you get this, and I know in a room this size, there are people that it's like, ow, oh, that's me. I'm in another Bible study, I'm in three Bible studies, but yet my heart feels kind of cold and dry within me. And I don't see a lot of the love of Jesus flowing out of me to my brothers and sisters, to my family, to others. I'm just kind of grumpy. David says something in the Psalms Restore to me the joy of my salvation. And it's only when you live out of this place of understanding what Paul's going to talk about, the free gift of grace, that God loves you beyond anything you can comprehend, that he wanted you in his family.
It's only when you begin to comprehend that that you can live with love and grace and forgiveness to those around you. Otherwise, it's just trying harder. Oh, you may get your ducks in a row and your theology all right and lined up. and That's good. Good on you for that. But what Jesus is calling for is your heart. A heart of gratitude in response for what he's done. Let's sing this song, and then I'll come back up and pray for you. You know, when you go back to Ephesus, the church that had the biggest rock star staff in the world, Apostle John, Timothy, Prisca and Aquila, the Apostle Paul, is nowhere to be found. They lost their love. They lost their influence in the course of history. My prayer for us at this time in our community, in our nation, is we would be a people that hold up the gospel and the love and the truth of Jesus. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for this amazing text that we're about to dive into. Lord, thank you for the way you moved in power. Lord, in our heart would be that we would see your spirit move in power and the gospel would reach so many of those around in our community that don't currently know you. And that starts as we love those and forgive and honor and as we live out of a grateful response to what you've done for us. And then we carry that love to those around. That we could speak gospel truth and love into culture with your grace. Help us do that, Lord. We love you. We worship you. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.